Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. You know, we're continuing on in this series called Sculpted. We're building on the last series where we talked about the value and the power of Romans 8.28, where the Bible says there, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called to his purpose. And what we tried to take away from the series was this idea that God can take anything in life, anything life throws at you, anything in life you go through, and ultimately make those things work out for your good. And make those things, not just for your good, but make those things work out in a way that he is reflected, he is seen in and through those experiences of life. So I'm just suggesting to you this morning that if you're going through a difficult time, God has this incredible ability to take those experiences of your life today and mold them and shape them and sculpt them in such a way that it'll benefit someone else. You may not realize it this morning or not, but I can tell you your life may be the only Bible someone ever reads. The only picture of God someone may ever see is what they see in you. There may be someone that would never walk through the doors of a church, but they'll look at how you handle adversity. They'll look at how you handle difficulty. They'll look at how you handle the trials of life and they'll wonder what gives you your strength. Where did that source of strength come from? And it will open opportunities for you to share your faith. So I just wanna tell you, a purpose, uh, 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 problems rather have purpose. God uses everything in our life ultimately to shape us, to mold us, to make us, in order that we can be the people he's created us to be. I don't know if you've thought about it or not, but your life has a purpose. You are a divine design. No one can do what you do the way you do it, and that is by his design. Somebody ever get envious of you and wish they had what you have? You know why they don't have what you have? Because they can't do what you do? If they, could, if, they, if they had what you had, it's because they could do what you do. God made you unique. He doesn't make copies. He doesn't make junk. He made you unique. And I'm just suggesting to you, as you go through hard times in life, understand God works not only in our successes, he works in our trials as well. He not only works in the good things that happen in our life, he works in the bad things that happen into our life as well. All of these things, everything works together for good. So we're gonna talk this morning about what that looks like. We're gonna talk about this morning how God may be using the events of your life now to help enable you to help someone else in your circle of influence. Do you have a Bible? Look in Romans chapter eight. I mentioned verse 28, let's drop to 29. And the Bible here says, for those God foreknew. Now we talked about foreknowledge, meaning sovereignty. God is sovereign, he knows everything. Nothing catches him by surprise. As we've said, has it ever occurred to you? Nothing has ever occurred to God. Nothing catches him off guard. He is, he is a sovereign God. He is the alpha and the omega. He sees the engine from the caboose and all the little cars in between. And I'm suggesting to you that when you understand God sees everything, he knows everything, uh, you, you, come, you begin to comprehend his sovereignty. So here he's talking about a sovereign God, his foreknowledge. And those he foreknew, he also predestined. The word predestined is to predetermine. 
Now let's put that together again for you. Those God knew what you would do, he knew what you would not do, and based upon what he knows you would or would not do, he has predetermined certain events in your life. He has predetermined certain things will happen in your life based upon what he knows you will or you will not do. It is tying together the sovereignty of God with the free choice that he has given us. And the purpose of all of this, he explains it in this next phrase. He said, it is so that we are conformed into the image of his son. You heard me say a minute ago, your life may be the only Bible someone reads, right? Your experience may be the only experience someone ever has with God. And that is by design. God is saying, I know what you'll do and what you won't do, therefore I'm predetermining events that will happen in your life so that the end result is Jesus will be reflected in who you are. People will see something in you that will make them curious about him. They will see his life reflected in and through you. How you handle difficulty. Have you ever noticed if you go into a jewelry store and you wanna look at a piece of jewelry, maybe a watch or a lady's earrings or bracelet, and how when they display that for you, to you, for you to examine closer, they'll always put that item on a very dark backdrop. Have you noticed that? They'll put it on a very dark backdrop. And the reason they do that is they wanna accentuate, they wanna highlight the brilliance of that piece. And you can't see it if it's against a bright backdrop. What's my point? My point is sometimes God will drop your life against a very dark backdrop so that someone in your circle can see the brilliance of who you are, can see his work in and through your life in a way they would have never seen it before. We say the stars all come out at night, don't we? Stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas, right? We say that, oh, it touches your heart, doesn't it? And the point is the stars are out all the time. The stars don't come out at night, you just can't see them. You can't see them because of the brightness of the sun. So God will hide the sun on the other side of the world so that we can see the brilliance of the stars. Well, that's my point. My point is to help you connect dots and realize you may be going through a dark experience in your life because someone else needs to see what God is reflecting through you. So I just want you to connect some dots this morning to understand how this works, this process, by the way, of being conformed in the image of his son. And by the way, that's a good word. A process is exactly what it is. None of us come into this world fully grown. It's a process. Spiritual growth is a process. And you and I are in a process this morning. That's really what I'm talking about. We're in a process this morning of growth. In fact, here's what I think success, success for a Christ follower looks like. Are you ready? I think success for a Christ follower could be defined this way the progressive realization of the purpose of God for my life. The progressive realization of God's purpose for your life. Why am I here? What am I here to do? You know why that's important? I'll tie it back to Ecclesiastes 3.1. To everything, Solomon said, there is a season. You're in a season of life right now. Some of you are single, you're unclaimed blessings. <laughs> Some of you are newlyweds. Some of you are nearly wed. <laughs> Some of you have kids at home. Some of your kids are grown. Some of you are empty nesters. Uh, but you're in a season of life. So life is seasonal, right? To everything there is a season. And then Solomon said, and in that season, there is a time for every purpose under heaven. Time to be born, time to die, and so forth. So what is this? This is this idea, he's saying, that life is seasonal, but in life you have time to help you complete your purpose. And I believe this morning that as long as you have purpose, God will give you time. 
As long as there is a reason for you being here, as long as there is a purpose for your life, God gives you time. Now, the minute your purpose is up, he calls you home. But as long as you have life, as long as you are here, you have purpose. So it is this progressive realization of God's purpose for my life. Uh, he uses your job, he uses your friends, he uses your neighbors, he uses people you encounter. All of these things are not by happenstance or accident. God has a design, he is allowing us to make relationships and friendships uh, and partnerships with people so that we can be a reflection of who he is. So all of these things are significant in understanding that you and I are in a process right now. We're in a process of understanding uh, his purpose for our life. And part of the process, notice this, can be seen in these three words. He called, there's one word. He also justified, there's a second word. He also glorified. Part of the process of us being conformed in the image of his son is understanding his calling, his justification, and his glorification. In the last two weekends, I'll deal with the other two, but for this weekend, I just wanna to talk to you for a little while about this idea of him calling us that everyone in this room have been called by God. It's an interesting word in the Greek, it means to be summoned. You have been summoned. That's why I believe salvation is for everyone. I believe the call is to everyone. It's not uh, exclusive, it is inclusive. It is universal. God just doesn't love a certain select group of people on the earth, he loves everyone. You read John three sixteen. for God so loved, what? the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son. So God loves each one of us. He loves all of us. So this idea of the calling of God and these four calls I wanna give you is, is, is special and it is unique to your life. The first call is a call I'm calling to salvation. There is a call to salvation. And by the way, again, it is universal. It is all inclusive. Every single solitary person in this room have had the call of God, the summons of God to salvation, meaning he is not willing that you go out into eternity without him. Second Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to redemption. So God is wanting everyone in this room to have a personal relationship with him. Now he uses a lot of different ways in which he calls us. One of the ways he calls us is through creation. Some people look at the majesty and the wonder and the mystery of creation, and they sense through nature this calling of God. They look at creation and they think, how could this just happen to be? I mean, there has to be a creator. There has to be this intelligent design behind everything that I'm looking. And the Bible certainly agrees with that because when you see Romans chapter uh, one and verse 20, it says creation testifies of the existence of God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 19, the first four verses, how that all of creation is shouting that God exists, that there is a God. I love that little story that says, um, uh, once I was a tadpole beginning to begin, then I was a frog with my tail tucked in, then I was a monkey in a banyan tree, now I'm a professor with a PhD. <laughs> I believe in the Genesis account of creation. I believe God created all things, including us. And creation is a way whereby God signals his call. So you have creation. Here's the second way he calls to us. It is through our conscience, our conscience. The Bible says in Romans chapter two, verse 15, that he has written his law on the hearts of man. Now, what does that mean? It means there is a knowledge of God in everyone that is born on this earth. 
John 1, the Bible says, he is the light that lights everyone that is born into the world. Now that doesn't mean there's a spark of divinity within you, that if you fan the flame, you evolve into being a Christ follower. That's not what's being taught. What's being taught in John 1 is there's a knowledge of God. There's a knowledge of God. And if a person is true to the knowledge, to the light God has given them, he will give them increased light to the point that he'll wreck a plane and drop a missionary right on top of them. (laughs) It's the idea of being true to the light he's given you. Have you ever noticed if you've studied people, you found that uh, no matter where these people groups are throughout the world, all the people groups throughout the world, throughout all humanity, have a form of worship. Have you noticed that? Now they may worship an animal or they may worship you know, a totem pole or they, they may worship you know, a, a pile of sticks, but they have some form of worship. Let me ask you, if you're skeptical, why is it that they have this within their heart, this need to worship? Where'd that come from? <laughs> why is it that they have this desire to worship something? I go to the, to, to the back to my thesis and say, it is because Romans 2 says, God's law is written on their heart. He has given them an awareness of his presence. And so he will use creation, he will use the conscience of people as ways to call to them. Here's the third way, he will use companions. Mark chapter two, those guys were in the house hearing Jesus preach, and you know what they thought about? They thought about a buddy of theirs that weren't there. They thought, man, Jesus could heal this guy, Jesus could change this man's life, but he's not here to hear it. (laughs) Uh, So they went and got him, took his bed. Remember the story, they couldn't get through the door, there were so many people, they just took him on top of the house, tore up the roof, and dropped him right in front of Jesus. And the Bible says that when God saw the faith of those men, he said, because of your faith, I'm gonna do something in his life. How many of us are here this morning because of someone else's faith, right? Some of us are here this morning because our mom or dad had faith, a grandparent. Some of us are here this morning because a spouse had faith. Some are here this morning because a friend had faith. What's my point? My point is God will use your friends. He will use circles of influence sometimes to call you to himself. So track with me. He uses creation. He uses my conscience. He uses my companions. Here's a fourth one. He uses circumstances. Circumstances. Um, uh, the, the things that, I, that happen to me, the things that I go through in life, the things that happen to you. God, will you, th- there's people in this room right now that are in church because of a circumstance. Maybe a divorce, maybe a financial reverse, maybe some illness that you're battling, maybe some illness your loved one is battling, but there's something that compelled you, there's something that drove you to go back to church. Can I suggest to you, it is the call of God. It is God saying to your heart, I love you, I miss you, I want you back, right? And God will use circumstances. In fact, listen to Jesus. He uses this harsh word in Matthew 5, 29. He said, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. You're better to go into heaven with one than into hell with two. (laughs) He said, if your right arm offends you, cut it off. You're better to go into heaven with one than into hell with two. Now, what did he mean by that? Is God some kind of sovereign sadist that takes pleasure in my pain? Doesn't mean that at all. Here's what it meant. It meant if it takes a difficulty to bring you to himself, he is more merciful to allow the difficulty than let you go merrily on your way out into eternity without him. You see how that works? 100 years from now when we're in the presence of God, if it took a hardship to bring me to him, I will bless his name and I will bow at his feet because he was gracious and loving and merciful enough to allow the hardship to come because that meant I could be connected to him. So he'll use circumstances. So track with me. He uses my creation, my conscience, companions, my circumstances. By the way, he uses scripture. 
the canon of scripture. Listen to what the Bible says about itself. John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, these things are written, the things in this Bible, in your Bible, are written, here it is, that you might believe. The bottom line of the Bible is it's God's word. It's written, given to us, that you might believe. And here's the last way he calls to us, and that's through Christ. <laughs> John 19, 10, the Bible says, the son of man came. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save those who are lost. Everyone in this room has had the call to salvation. And God will use various ways and means and methods to try to get you to hear his call. And his call is whosoever uh, will, let him come. His call is uh, he that comes to me, she who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. He's never turned anyone back. He's never turned anyone away. He won't start with you. You say, you don't know how bad I am. I don't care to know how bad you are. You ain't that bad. God's called some pretty bad, there are gonna be some pretty bad people in heaven that are saved by the grace of God. So I'm just suggesting to you that there is a call that has gone out and there's the call to salvation. Do you have it? Here's a second call in scripture. There is the call, and let me give you this word, a call to sanctification. Now don't let that word scare you. It is not Christianese. Let me explain it. The word sanctification, by the way, does not mean sinless perfection. I've heard preachers tell that and talk about that and say, wow, you sanctification is a certain level you get to in your spiritual life where you just no longer sin. Let me tell you, that's a lie. Anybody that talks about that, if they'll lie, they'll steal, so keep a close eye on them. <laughs> that's just not true. You or I, we never get to a point where we will not sin. Now, we could sin less than we sin, but you're going to sin. When you connect with your creator and you respond to the call of salvation, let me tell you what happens. You stop being a lost sinner, you start being a saved one. You're going to sin. Now, the difference here in that is he makes provision. All of our sins are forgiven. The only thing we have to deal with is consequences. Like I told you before, there's some natural consequences that doesn't require God to do anything for them to come to pass. There is this law he put in the earth called gravity. <laughs> We're all familiar with it. And that law doesn't require any divine intervention for it to work. If I went up on top of this building and I told you I believe I can fly, I believe I can touch the sky, you would say, you are nuts, dude. There's no way you can, I'd say, no, no, I have faith. Jesus is gonna carry me on wings of love and I'm gonna fly to Alliance and land. You'd say, we gotta go, honey, go get the kids. We gotta watch this boy. And all of a sudden, I spread my wings and I leap singing, you know, victory in Jesus. And it's just a matter of seconds before I hit the ground. You know why? It wasn't divine intervention that caused that. Jesus didn't say, oh, Bill may defy the law I put into place. I better make sure he hits the ground so my law isn't broken. No, the laws are there. He's saying that law is going to kick in and the minute his goofy backside steps off of that building, he's going to the ground hard. It wasn't divine intervention, it was a natural consequence. You get that? Stupid is as stupid does. So I'm just saying, there's some natural consequences that you can't blame on God, they just happen when we do dumb stuff. He just put it in place. Don't do that, all right, well come here and watch this, he's gonna do it. Get some popcorn and watch, he's gonna do it. And sure enough, we do it, we get hurt, and we learn there's a consequence to the action. But he's talking about not sinless perfection, he's talking about sanctification, which just certainly, uh, simply rather, means to be different. 
Um, let me give you this to you quickly. There is a law of interpretation in the Bible. If you wanna know how to interpret a word, the Bible will interpret itself. So if you wanna know how to interpret a word, you apply what is called the law of first mention. Meaning you go back in scripture and you find the first time that word is used, how it is used, what context was it used, how was it used, how was it defined, and you define it that way. And now every time you see the word throughout the Bible, you will define it in, the certain, in the same way you defined it where it was first mentioned. Now the first mention of this word sanctification, which by the way is important because the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, it is God's will that his children be sanctified. So this is a call, he's calling us to sanctification. What does it mean? Well, he says concerning the, the, uh, uh, the first use of the word in the Bible, it was Genesis 2, verse 4. And in Genesis 2, 4, here's what he said. He blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Nothing to do with sin. He's talking about a day. He's saying, I have blessed the seventh. What did he do about the seventh day? He said, I'm gonna make this day different than the other days. I'm gonna make this day unique. I'm gonna make this day special. I'm gonna make this day stand out above all the other days of the week. That's all sanctification means. It means that you are unique, that you're special. If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. It means that uh, the bar is a little higher for us who know Jesus. And so as we understand sanctification, it just means I'm walking um, uh, in a new way. Uh, my motivation isn't get all I can, can all I get, set on the lid and spoil the rest. My motivation is to try to do something that will help someone else. It's not about me anymore. It's about others. And when you begin to understand that, you begin to distinguish yourself from the flow of this world. Because the system of the world is a system that is moving progressively away from God. So when you become a Christ follower and you understand sanctification, that means as a Christ follower, you learn to swim upstream. Your mom says, everybody else jump off that building, I guess you go jump too. <laughs> Will you be the one that doesn't jump, right? Uh, if everybody else is doing it and it's the wrong thing, you say, no, I'm sorry. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That's sanctification. The Bible talks about positional sanctification. That's the idea that I've been uniquely placed in Christ. Positionally, I'm in Christ. If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. Positional sanctification. I'm unique, you're unique because we're in Christ. There is practical sanctification. That's where I separate myself. I, I sanctify myself when uh, I'm challenged to do something in my heart, I know it's wrong. When somebody tries to do something or get me to do something or go along with something and in my heart, it violates my conscience, it violates my heart, and I say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna swim upstream. I'm not gonna live according to the pressure this world puts on me. I'm living my life according to the priorities I've established for me. You know what happens when you do that? You're distinctively separating yourself from the flow. It's practical sanctification. You do it every day. You make decisions like that every day, either to go along with it or to resist it, right? And then there's permanent sanctification. That's one day when we'll be in the presence of God. That's one day when this uh, spirit and soul will vacate this body. Absent from this body, 2 Corinthians 5 says, and I'll be present with my Lord. That's permanent sanctification. So you have a call to sanctification. Thirdly, hurriedly, there is a call to service. God has called every person in this room who knows Jesus to serve other people. And we give you practical ways to do that in the life of the church. All we're trying to do is to get you to, to understand the value of life is in serving others. You wanna build a successful business? Do something for someone else. Provide a product that they need. Provide a service that they need. 
be the answer to a problem and people will pay you for that. <laughs> it's not rocket science. It's this idea that God has called every one of us to serve. We're called to be served. Now there is a general sense in which we're all to serve. We're to serve our family. Uh, we're, we're to serve our kids. We're, we're to serve our neighbors. There's a practical sense. And then there's a specific sense in which you're called. Have you ever referred to your career as your vocation? Do you know the word vocation comes from the Greek idea of voca, which is calling? That's all it is. You know why you're doing what you're doing at a high level and you're successful or you're effective at doing it? Because God wired you up that way. If you love what you do, it's because you've hit sync, you've hit the rhythm, you are doing what you have been designed to do. And the payoff is you're able to take care of your family, you're able to take care of yourself. Again, this isn't rocket science. This is just the idea that, man, when I am in a rhythm and I am connected to my creator and I'm making good decisions every day, then I'm effective at helping other people as they deal with the issues of life. Here's the fourth calling, and we'll be done with this one. There's a calling, believe it or not, there's a calling to suffering. Do you know God sometimes calls on his children to go through hard experiences? Sometimes the difficulties of life are not the result of something crazy we've done. Sometimes it is simply the will of God that we go through a difficult or a dark experience. It's just God's will. We may not be able to connect all the dots. We may live our whole life unable to understand or comprehend, but God sometimes calls on kids to go through some hardship. Read the book of Job, right? Listen to what he said in Philippians 1:29. For you have been given the privilege of serving, serving Christ, not only by believing in him, but get this, but also for suffering for him. Some of you guys are going through some hard stuff and you're going through some difficulty because right now it doesn't make sense, but God may use the difficulty and the hard times that you're going through because someone else is gonna come behind you that isn't as strong as you, that doesn't have the faith that you have, that are gonna need what God's gonna teach you through this experience. Who better to help someone who's gone through a divorce and somebody's been divorced, right? Who better to help someone with a terrible illness and someone who's had that? Who better to help someone navigate through a loss of a loved one than somebody who's been there, done that? So I'm just suggesting to you guys that there's a big picture here that sometimes we have trouble seeing. God is in control, he's sovereign. He has foreknowledge. And in his foreknowledge, there's a predeterminate plan that's at work in our lives. And part of it involves the process of conforming us into the image of his son. And as I'm understanding that, I understand there's a calling. There's this calling to salvation and this calling for me to make good decisions and there's this calling for me to be sensitive to other people. And there's this calling to understand that part of the process is your heart's gonna get broken. You're gonna go through some things that you won't understand. You're gonna have some dreams that aren't fulfilled. You're gonna have some goals that you didn't hit. You're gonna go through that. And can I caution you as I close the message this morning, be careful getting your theology from your circumstances. Boy, that's so dangerous. Here's what I mean by that. Be careful in thinking if things are going well, God therefore must be pleased with me because when things aren't going well, you're gonna think just the opposite. God may be displeased with me and you could be way off. There was an evangelist uh, named Junior Hill. He played college ball. And man, if you've played football at that level, you know your body just gets beat up. And he had struggled with, problem with his, uh, 
with his hip and he had just had all kinds of hip problems and he just couldn't, he had been to orthos and trying to figure it out, couldn't figure it out. Finally, he went to one ortho and he goes, Junior, it's not your um, hip, it's your knee. He said, my knee's fine. He said, it's my hip. And he goes, who's the doctor here? <laughs> he said, it's your knee. And they operated on his knee and he said, my hip's never bothered me since. <laughs> What's the point? Sometimes I'm the worst person to evaluate myself. Sometimes I think I know what I need and I'm way off. Sometimes I'm praying, God, do something with my hip when he's saying, son, it's your knee. That's why you come back to say, God, you're God and I'm not. I don't like this. This is not fair. I didn't sign on for this. This makes no sense. Why me? Why this? Why? I, I, I get it. I'll sit down with you and we'll cry together and we'll talk as long as you want to talk. I get you. <laughs> but I'm saying at the end of the day, God has a purpose. I've got to believe that. Not just as a pastor, but as a human being. I've got to believe this somehow, someday, some way will make sense. Otherwise, you can't keep that spiritual equilibrium, right? You can't keep that little bubble in the middle where you stay centered in life if you don't have that kind of faith. So can I help you this morning and tell you, there's enough rope there, tie a little knot, hang on. There's enough hope there, just dig in. Don't you give up, don't you give in, don't you give out. God has a plan and here's what I know and I'll go to my grave believing this, he cannot fail. I don't agree with him. He doesn't ask my opinion. If he did, I'd say, don't agree with you, sir. <laughs> and what's beautiful about that is he knows that and he hadn't mashed me like a bug into this rug. You, you know what's beautiful about God? I'm, I'm just, I'm, we're, 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 I'm freewheeling now, so stay with me. <laughs> you know what's beautiful about God is he loves us enough to let us be upset with him. Isn't that good? David said, he has put my feet in a big room. That means he cuts you some slack. He cuts you some slack. He gives you room to be mad. He gives you room to be upset. He gives you room to question him. He can handle it. You know what about, you know the thing about truth is? Truth can be examined. Truth isn't fragile. God's not fragile. He's not, he's not up there when I get upset or you get upset at him, we're going, why God is suddenly making it? Oh, you're, oh, I'm so fragile, I'm God, but I'm still fragile. No, not at all. He's going, hit me with your best shot. I can take it. What do you got? What's upsetting you? What are you upset about? That's why you ought to take everything you got. Have you ever prayed an angry prayer? You just fired one off, have you? I've prayed a few. Every now and then I'll fire one off there, a little angry prayer. And what's good about it, God said, that's okay, kid, I get it, I understand. Remember, I don't have foreknowledge. I, I, I don't know how this, don't you wish you could fast forward your life and look back at it and go, whew, holy good, I'm so glad I didn't quit back there. <laughs> right? I don't have that advantage, but God does. So what do I do? I trust him. I know his foreknowledge allows predetermined events in my life. I know he's calling me, so I wanna be effective so I can help somebody else maybe in this room or watching online at some point to say, you know what, that helped me a little bit. Because one day I hope I hear him say, hey, well done, good and faithful servant, enter to the joy of your Lord. Let's pray, we'll go home. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in all of our lives. And Father, I'd be the first one to tell you that we don't understand all of the things that happen. 
But like your apostle said, and we agree, you do all things well. And I am convinced, Father, you are too good to do wrong, and I know you're too wise to make a mistake. So Lord, help us to take all the heartache, heartbreak, confusion, the clutter of our life, collect it up and lay it at your feet. You said cast all your care upon you, for you care for us. So Father, I pray for the brokenhearted this morning. I pray for the heavy-hearted this morning. I pray for the cold-hearted this morning, that you'll bring us to your feet, help us to hear your call. Father, I pray for my friends who may never have trusted you. They haven't heard the first call. I pray this might be the moment where they say, Lord Jesus, I'm sick of trying to do this on my own. With all that I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. And finally, Lord, for those who ought to allow somebody just to spend a few minutes to hug them and encourage them to pray for them, I pray as soon as I dismiss, they'll make their way here to the front, let somebody spend a few minutes with them, just to love on them and pray for them, I pray. Bless this day, God. Make it a great week for us, and we trust you, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.